everybody, and welcome back to I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. If this is your first time joining us, then let me just welcome you and say that I'm very glad that you're here. My name is Christian Keeter, and I live in the southeast of the United States of America with my amazing, beautiful, godly wife, Lacey, and our two wonderful daughters, Felicity and Serenity. So yesterday morning, I had an interesting experience. Um, as soon as I woke up, very first thing, immediately a passage of scripture came to my mind. And that's not the norm. That's not what normally happens. Normally, I will, when I'm spending time with the Lord, will just continue to work through, pray through, um, look up scriptures on, journal about stuff that he's already showing me, just trying to really wrap my head around the lessons that he's been teaching me. Um, but this morning in particular, first thing, woke up and boom, scripture immediately brought to my mind. So needless to say, uh, that's what I was reading that morning, yesterday morning. That's what I went and spent my time looking into. And this scripture is the parable of the unforgiving servant, which is found in Matthew 18, which is what we're going to look at today. And there were a few things in particular out of the passage that really stood out to me, as well as just a few things that I feel like the Lord showed me about my own heart through this process. But I will discuss those as we go through that. So let's go ahead and go to Matthew 18. I'm actually going to back up a little bit just for the sake of context a little bit, because we love context. So in Matthew 18, see, let's start in verse 15 here. And this is Jesus speaking, and he says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And so that is that was Matthew 18, 15 through 20. And that leads us right into the, the section that immediately came to my mind. I just wanted to read that because the next verse starts with the words, Then Peter... And so it's like, well, well, then implies almost like a sequence or just like an order of events. And so I just wanted to include that section that we could spend an entire episode talking about in and of itself, um, which we're not going to do right now, just as a little bit of context. So continuing in verse 18, I'm sorry, in verse 21 of Matthew 18, uh, verses 21 and 22 say, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And so this is a pretty popular um, passage of scripture, what we just read, those two verses right there. Peter obviously was not asking how many times do I get to forgive somebody. It was more of the flavor of how many times do I have to forgive somebody, even up to seven times. And Jesus blows that completely out of the water. And he says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, which of course carries the idea of unlimited. In fact, some translations you'll see, uh, for example, I believe this is the New King James Version, says uh, in verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And so some translations will have in the footnote, it'll say, um, where it'll say like up to 77 times, it'll say or 70 times seven. So I'm not exactly sure why there's a little bit of ambiguity there. And so someone might be saying, well, is it 77 or is it 490? Which, which one? But that's not the point. That's not the point at all. The point is unlimited forgiveness, 
whether it's supposed to, uh, you know, whether originally the idea was 77 or 490 is completely beside the point altogether. That's just a matter of translation. Uh, but, but the point is absolutely the same. It's not like, um, you know, you're counting and it's like, all right, that was 73, 74, you're getting close, you know, and that's not it at all. And so the idea is to, to say it again, just unlimited forgiveness. And then Jesus continues and goes on with this parable. He goes on to say, uh, to tell him what I referenced a minute ago, which is what we oftentimes call the parable of the unforgiving servant. And that's what the rest of Matthew chapter 18 is all about. And that's the passage that I really feel like the Lord put on my heart. But we're already kind of like primed here to understand what it's about. It's about forgiveness. This parable is told in response to Peter's question. And then Jesus responds with, um, you know, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And then immediately Jesus continues right on into the parable. So having said that, let's read through it. And I'm going to pause along the way just to offer a little bit of commentary. Uh, resuming in verse 23 of Matthew 18, it says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. All right, let's pause. Talent, the the English word talent here uh, does not refer to what we normally think of with a talent, obviously. Uh, it does not refer to an ability or a skill, which in normal conversation, when we hear the word talent, that's what comes to mind, but it actually is a unit of measurement. And so let me uh, just read to you the footnote here. I'm reading the footnote out of the English Standard Version, which helps kind of put some skin on this. It says, a talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. And so think about that for a minute. One talent was a unit of measurement, and it was worth about 20 years wages of a laborer. So 20 years worth of work equals one talent. And notice how many talents this guy owns the king, or I'm sorry, owes the king. It says that, here, I just let me find my place again. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. He owes him 10,000 talents. And so let's just do some basic math here. So if it takes 20 years to earn one talent, right, and he owes 10,000, then it would take, of course, 200,000 years <laughs> to, <laughs> to earn uh, that, that kind of money to pay it back. And so this is obviously extremely hyperbolic. This is just such an extreme example. And Jesus is making a very powerful point here. But I want us to pause to see just the amount of money this would be. Like this guy, it almost makes you wonder, it's like, what on earth did he do? Like, how, how could he possibly owe this much money? And so 200,000 years worth of labor is how much it would take to pay this off. So he owes 10,000 talents. That's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. If you're working your way out of debt right now, you probably feel a lot better about yourself because you're like, oh, I'm not that bad at least. So, <laughs> all right, continuing on. Uh, it says, so, um, let's see here. And when he began to settle, uh, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That was verse 24 and continuing. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And so that is the end of verse 26. And so what's happening so far here is that, of course, there's this servant. He owes this ridiculous amount of money. 
obviously can't pay it, never would be able to pay it, is the point. He would never be able to repay this. And so the king orders that he and his family and his possessions be sold and for payment to be made. Now, just as a quick side note, we we see kind of a similar sort of situation uh, in a passage in 2 Kings. And I'm giving you this just to help understand the precedent behind, I mean, even what's going on here. And so here in 2 Kings 4.1, it says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And that's Second Kings 4.1. And there's this incredible miracle that ensues in this passage in Second Kings 4.1 through 6 uh, and 7, actually, all the way through 7. You should definitely read about it. But um, basically, there's this multiplication of oil and... It fills up all these vessels that she borrowed from her neighbors, and then this oil is just this incredible multiplication of this oil. And then down in verse 7 of that same passage, uh, it says, She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. And so we see just kind of a similar sort of situation where she owed this debt to these creditors, and the Lord miraculously provided through the prophet Elisha. Um, through the multiplication of this oil so that she could sell it and pay off the debt. And so, but what was going to happen is that this creditor was going to come and take away her two sons and sell them into slavery. And so we, we see this sort of thing happening. And so this king is about to say, okay, you can't pay the debt. Then I'm, I'm going to sell you and your family and your possessions. That's what's about to happen. And so we've already seen how the man responded, how this servant responded. He says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Which, that's completely absurd. He's not going to be able to pay back all of that. That's ridiculous. It's, we just did the calculation. This 200,000 years worth of work. Can't pay that back. This, is, this amount's ridiculous. This is just a desperate plea. This is just a, a desperate attempt, um, I guess, to buy time. He's saying, have patience with me. Please don't do this. So then what happens next? It says, verse 27, And out of pity for him... The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So that's incredible. This this master has compassion. He has pity. He forgives the 10,000 talent debt. This is over the top. Like, first off, the amount of this, the money that this guy owed was over the top. And then the compassion and mercy of this guy is just over the top. It is just exorbitant. And so we'd like to be like, wow, okay, the end, happily ever after. But the story goes on because Jesus is showing something here. Remember, Jesus is still responding to this question that Peter asked. How many times do I have to forgive, basically, was Peter's uh, question. So continuing on in verse 28, it says, But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So let's pause. 100 denarii. What's that? Um, denarii is the plural. Denarius is the singular. I may or may not be pronouncing that correctly. But what is? how much is this worth? And so let me just quote again the footnote out of the English Standard Version here at the bottom. It says, a denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. And so this other guy owes this servant 100 of these. And so, yeah, that's, that's some money. That's, I mean, like, if, if somebody owed you money and it would take working 100 days to earn that amount of money, you're like, yeah, okay, that's that's some money. I would like to be paid back that, you know? And so it's 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 not a negligible amount in and of itself, 
but it is negligible by comparison. A hundred denarii compared to 10,000 talents. A hundred days worth of work compared to 200,000 years worth of work. And we're supposed to feel this comparison. And already, look at how this is happening. Look at how the servant is. This other detail here where it says, uh, And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. And so he's like laid hands on this guy. He's like, Give me the money that you owe me. It's very, uh, it's pretty aggressive, pretty intense. And so listen to this next bit here in verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. So stop there. You can tell it's almost verbatim what the original servant said to the master. And so we'd like to be like, well, of course he's going to, he's going to hear that. And he's going to say, oh, you know what? I just said pretty much that exact same thing to the king who just forgave me just an unbelievable amount of money. You know what? That's what we'd like to say. But what happens? It says in verse 30 and following, it says, He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. That's verse 30. So the servant doesn't respond to this guy's plea for mercy. He has him thrown in jail because of the debt. Verse 31 goes on. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay off all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so that was through, uh, that was, I think, verses 31 through 35 that I just read. And so that's the end of the passage. So, wow. Okay. Um, things don't end up going so well here for this guy in the end. And so it says uh, what happens is that he puts the guy in jail. Some other servants go and report it to their master. And the master, it says, he says he calls him wicked. And then it says, in you know, in his anger. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, which there's a footnote down here. Jailer um, could also be translated as torturers. So it's just not a not a good situation here. And so remember, Jesus is telling this in response to Peter's question. And so a lot of the application points are obviously clear. It's just like, well, who in this parable is going to represent the king? Well, of course, that's going to be the Lord. And who are going to be the servants? We are. We're the servants. And this debt, just like this servant owed a debt that he could never pay, we owe debts that we could never pay. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we see I mean, we all have had, we all have this debt that we can never pay, repay. We all have sinned. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves, and we get to experience forgiveness. We get to experience the forgiveness of that debt for all who have placed our faith and trust in him. And so just like this servant, there's this crazy, unbelievable debt that we could never repay. We could never repay it at all. We could never, ever do it on our own. We would never, ever be able to be good enough. Just like Paul says in Ephesians, really famously, Ephesians 2, uh, 8 through 9. Uh, let me flip here right now. It says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So just like with this guy, it's like, we could never work to earn it. We could never work enough to pay off 
the sin debt. We could never do this. We, I mean, Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb of God died in our place. Again, uh, just I mean, another passage of scripture to keep in mind that this is going to be second Corinthians five 21, which says, uh, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. He knew no sin. He was sinless. We're sinful. The sinless sacrifice took the sin so that the sinners can be spotless. I don't think I initially intended for there to be so much alliteration in that, but you get the point where it's just like, this is the gospel. I recorded an episode on the gospel. You can go back and listen to it. Um, I don't remember the exact number of the episode. It's just called the gospel, but I'll put more details about that in the show notes of this episode. But we just see, I, we, we know this. We are this servant. And, and except for the pity, mercy, compassion of the master, we're all ruined. And so the absurdity of this is when one servant begins to be merciless with other servants, people on level ground, when that servant's superior, the king, forgave him of an even larger debt. And so we can see how the dots are beginning to connect here. We can see this is what it's like when we walk in unforgiveness towards other people. It's, it's absurd is what it is. It's absurd to say, I have been forgiven of so much, and yet I'm going to withhold forgiveness of another, or uh, forgiveness towards another. So just a couple of observations. One, um, our debt, you know, our debt to the king is infinitely greater than any debt that anybody else could ever owe us. Remember the comparison of 10,000 talents and 100 denarii. And so we have to ask ourselves the question of, if I, I have been forgiven so much, I have been forgiven so much by the Lord since past, present, and future. He has done so much for me. He has lavished me with such mercy and compassion. How can I withhold it from another? How can I withhold that from another person? Uh, you know, the Bible, let me flip over to Ephesians here. Ephesians 4.32. Um, I'll read, actually I'll read verses 30 through 32. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And so it says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so the forgiveness that we have received from the Lord is our model for how we forgive other people. And guys, I think that the more we understand the Lord's forgiveness the more we will forgive others. I think that the more um, we really understand his mercy and his compassion, the more that we can really wrap our minds around that, the more that we will forgive others. In fact, let me, one more cross-reference here. Um, and this, you know, I'll, I'll actually read a, a big part of this passage here. So it's in Luke 7, beginning in verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. And so let me pause there. That was 36 through 40. And so there's this sinful woman that comes in. 
she is, you know, weeping um, and washing Jesus' feet with her tears and drying it with her hair and anointing his feet. And I love this detail. It's it's actually kind of funny right here where it says, uh, says what the Pharisee was thinking because it says he said to himself. And so it shows what the Pharisee's thinking, but then it says, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. <laughs> I love how Jesus answers what the guy is thinking. It's just like he responds to this guy's thought. And <laughs> it's just funny. And so, and then he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon was the name of the Pharisee. And, and, and Simon the Pharisee responded, say it, teacher. So then resuming in verse 41, Jesus offers um, a parable. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with them began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And so that's the end of the passage there. And so really, really incredible passage here. But one thing that I just want to highlight, because again, we could talk about this the whole time, but just what he says here, um, he says in verse 47, therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many are forgiven for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And so there's this principle here that the one who is forgiven much loves much. And here's the truth, guys, we have been forgiven much. Those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus and experienced the forgiveness of sins in his name, we have been forgiven much, a whole lot. And if we can understand the depth of our forgiveness that we have received, then love will flow from this. Notice back up in verse 42 where it says, When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And so notice how he says, which, which of them will love him more? And so we see when we understand the depth of our forgiveness, it just leads to such a greater level of love for the Lord. The more we understand how much we've been forgiven, the more we're going to love the Lord. However, our love for the Lord also leads to love for other people. We see this explicitly in places like 1 John 4, 7 through 20, and uh, which I totally recommend that you check out sometime, uh, that passage. And then even here in uh, Matthew 22, 37 through 40, it says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. And so we see there everything is summed up by essentially loving God and loving others. And so our love for the Lord will lead to love towards other people. And part of what that looks like is walking in forgiveness towards them. Here's the thing. Do we understand the depth of the compassion and forgiveness that we have received? Do we understand the weight, this enormous weight that has been taken off our shoulders? Because remember... What was the payment for sin? It was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He Sin is what put him on the cross. Of course, willingly he went, but it was to pay for sin. And so the sinless lamb of God, the Lord himself in flesh, 
came and died. And so we see that that just shows the magnitude of the debt of sin so that anyone can receive forgiveness who places their faith and trust in him. And so there's the comparison thing, the 10,000 talents to the 100 denarii. And so just first off, the first thing we need to do is to understand how much we've been forgiven. But second off, there's something interesting here that really resonated with me down in verse, returning to Matthew 18, that is, at verse 28, you know, he finds the other servant and he says, let's see here, it says, and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. And that phrase, pay what you owe, I think that really touches on what a debt even is. Now, financially, this makes a lot of sense. If you're in financial debt, that means you owe money. Makes total sense. But a debt is is this, this uh, it's, it's something that's owed. And so here, I think this really touches on what forgiveness is. Whenever we are wronged by somebody and we walk in unforgiveness towards them, we are carrying in our hearts this idea that we are owed something. We are owed something by this person. It could be an apology. We might want to see them grovel. Uh, who knows? If it's if they borrowed money they didn't pay back, then it could be the, the just the money itself. But unforgiveness is looking at somebody else and saying, I've been wronged and I'm owed something. And so this servant is choking this guy. He sees him. He's going to throw him in jail. And he's saying, pay what you owe, pay what you owe, pay what you owe. And I just want to say that anytime we walk in unforgiveness or offense towards another person, that's what we're doing. We are saying, pay what you owe, pay what you owe, pay what you owe. Now, this gets really complicated whenever the person who wronged us has has died. Because we still walk around perhaps carrying that same sort of sense of debt and anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, offense. And they're dead. It can, they can never repay it. And so it's like, well, what on earth do you do then? And that's just, um, I don't know, this thing of forgiveness gets, gets pretty complicated and pretty messy. Especially because a lot of times, not all the time, definitely not all the time, but a lot of times, offense and unforgiveness comes from real wrongs suffered. Times when people really were victimized. And I'll touch on that again in a minute. But I'm just saying here, so for starters, it's... Well, let me just finish out the passage, actually, before I make any more comments. So it goes on. What does the king say? The king addresses the servant as wicked. Basically, the idea is, how could you do what you did to this other servant after what I have done for you? He says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Then he goes on to say, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Then it says, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. This did not... This is not pleased the master. This is not pleased the king. And so uh, it says, delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And to, I'm sorry, until he should pay all his debt. Then listen to what Jesus says, kind of wrapping up the parable in verse 35. He says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Whatever exactly it means when Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We, we don't want that. We don't want whatever that symbolizes or stands for. And so we want to forgive. We want to let it go. We don't want to be in the same position of this servant or whatever, again, like I said, whatever it means or stands for here. So that's a brief overview of this. And like I said, going into this, and this is all talking about forgiveness and stuff, the Lord brought this verse, this passage up to me as soon as I woke up yesterday morning. And so I spent time in this. And just to be honest with you guys, there had just been some offense that I had in my heart, some unforgiveness and bitterness that I knew was there, but I just wasn't taking seriously. I wasn't taking seriously at all. It was just kind of there. And 
it's one of these things where, I mean, unfortunately, there are sins that Christians are comfortable harboring. And unforgiveness and bitterness is going to be one of these that people are okay with sometimes. People are sometimes okay with envy. People are sometimes okay with pride. Things like this. Um, things that the Bible, of course, is going to overtly call sin, but because you're not actually killing anybody or doing the things that culturally Christians would call worse sins doesn't mean that they're any less sinful. It's just it's just as... It's really bad. And so unforgiveness, walking in bitterness, it's it's a sin. It is a sin because we are told to forgive as we have been forgiven, as we have seen. And to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from us. And I referenced, uh, or I read the Ephesians 4, 30-32 passage just a little while earlier in this episode. So... This is um this is a big deal. And so the Lord brought me to this passage and I just started reading through it and I started feeling the weight of this passage um, more so than I think I have in the past. And just to let you in a little bit on kind of one thing I've been praying is I've been asking the Lord to teach me the fear of the Lord. Um, just to teach me, because the fear of the Lord is, is a wonderful thing when you survey the scriptures. If you were to type in, what does the Bible say about the fear of the Lord? And then click like openbible.info, which if you Google something, what does the Bible say about blank? One of the first websites that's going to pop up is open Bible. And it's got, it'll just list out a bunch of scriptures. Then you'll see the fear of the Lord is a wonderful thing in the scriptures. And so I've been asking him to teach me the fear of the Lord. And part of what the fear of the Lord means is to take God seriously. It's to really take him seriously. Yes, he is our heavenly father and he loves us immensely but he's also holy, you know? And so we, we take, we take the Lord seriously. We take the fact that he, you know, hates sin seriously. And that just because we're his children doesn't mean that we get a pass in this area. Yes. We're never going to suffer eternal judgment because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus paid for our sins, but here in the here and now, temporally, we will absolutely experience the discipline of the Lord if we're walking in sin. Hebrews 12, uh, five through 13. You can read that on your own time. Talk about the discipline of the Lord. So, unforgiveness big thing is so the lord just kind of brought this up and i started just going through i was like okay you know what what i'm saying in my heart towards anyone that i'm holding any sort of unforgiveness towards is pay what you owe pay what you owe and so what i did was to the best of my ability i just went through my mind and as i was praying i just prayed through um ended up being quite a lengthy thing here i just prayed through um any offense and just let it go and my thought was this person owes me nothing they owe me nothing. Pay what you owe is no longer on the table. Just as I didn't have to pay what I owed because Jesus paid it for me, Jesus also paid it for them too. Jesus did not just die for Christian Keter. He died for everyone and anyone. Because like the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever. Whoever believes in him. And so anyone who has placed their trust in Jesus has um, experienced the forgiveness that he offers. And even the people who have yet to do so, the offer is extended to them until they draw their last breath. And so I would just say it's like they he didn't just die for my sins. He died for theirs. And for me to walk in unforgiveness is almost kind of like double jeopardy. And it's like, I need to let it go. I need to let go whatever this is. And a lot of times, like I said, it's not even valid. It's not even like true offense. It's like, for example, my pride was stepped upon and I got mad about it. That's that's the source of a lot of our unforgiveness is that something sinful in us like pride has been disrespected. And then we get mad about that. And that's a problem in and of itself. So uh, I just went through this prayer and just like I, I let it go. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, who else? And I just sat in that space for a while and just tried to let go of any and all offense that I was harboring in my heart. And guys, as I did this, I felt 
almost like physically lighter through the experience. But this was just something very, very necessary. And so I just know that taking up an offense, walking in unforgiveness is something that's very easy to do. We live in a fallen world and, and offenses, offenses are sure to come. But what we do in response to that is what's really, really vital. So just a few quick thoughts on some of this, because someone might say, well, Christian, I was really wronged, like really wronged. And I was truly in the innocent here, uh, or I was innocent in the matter, to the best of my understanding. I was truly victimized. How do I forgive in that situation? And I would just say this, we, we need the Holy Spirit's help to do anything. We need the Lord to empower us. We need his supernatural power. And so I would just refer to Jesus on the cross, where he said, and this is Luke 23, 34, it says, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And uh, that's that's the first half of uh, Luke 23, 34. But Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so these people had put Jesus on the cross, and you know, you remember they have the scene of the cross. They're, they're casting lots for his, his garment. I mean, people are reviling him. It's just a horrible, horrible scene. And, and Jesus prays for these very people. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so that, that same that same posture, that same power to be able to say that it's accessible to you through the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you if you're born again. And so I would just encourage you to begin to cry out to God and say, God, I just need your help letting go. I just need your help to let it go. And, you know, uh, one passage that I would actually recommend to, to consider as well as Romans chapter 12, I believe is verse 19. Yeah, yeah. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so you can just say, Lord, please help me just to trust that verse. You take care of me. You say, Vengeance is yours, and you will repay. And so I can just kind of entrust that situation to you and take my hands off of it. And in fact, there's a really good quote. Let me pull this quote up here. Um, it's said by a man named Louis B. Smeeds, and that's I'm guessing that's how you pronounce the last name. To be honest with you, I'd heard this quote when I originally heard it. It was attributed to somebody else, but as I was looking into it, it seems that this was the man who said it. And I'm not exactly sure much about this guy. I'm not familiar with his work, but I do know that this quote is phenomenal. He says, and I quote, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. And so his point is this. It's like, okay, whenever you're walking in unforgiveness towards somebody, the idea is like, okay, this person owes me something. I have them locked up in my mind, so to speak, and even in my interactions with them. But he says, but you're the one that's in the cell. And you've probably heard plenty of other illustrations for the same sort of truth, like unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die, or unforgiveness is like setting yourself on fire, hoping that the other person will die from smoke inhalation. Um, these are just some examples. But the point is, it's just like whenever we're walking in unforgiveness, the person who's going to suffer the most is going to be us. And so this is also part of it. Let me flip over just a few more places in scripture before we wrap up. And this topic could be so much more. And by the way, I don't mean to minimize your circumstance, whatever you went through, because I don't know. I'm speaking in generalities right now, but I just know that no matter what, the power of the Holy Spirit's enough to take you through, and he can help you to let go of this and to walk in freedom so that you're no longer a victim of what happened to you. You can release that person. You can just say, Lord, you handle them. And Lord, I'm just going to walk in freedom because as long as we let something that happened to us in the past continue to affect us, we're being controlled by that person and by that circumstance. And, uh, and that's, 
that's uh, and we don't we don't want to do that. And also, just a quick side note that doesn't okay. And this is I hope this goes without saying. Forgiveness and forgiving somebody doesn't mean remaining in an awful situation. It doesn't remember. It doesn't mean staying in a, like a dangerous scenario. That's not what forgiveness is. Again, forgiveness is to release a debt that is owed. It doesn't mean to continue to endanger yourself. And so, if you're in a difficult situation, go talk to your pastor, talk to your Christian church leaders, um, uh, other Christian friends, talk to godly people, go talk to a Christian counselor. Just seek help. Seek help and pray and ask the Lord and uh, and that. So here in Matthew six. This is right after Jesus gives us the model prayer, which we oftentimes call the Lord's Prayer. It says in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, it says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so you say, well, wait just a minute. I thought salvation was by grace. That sounds like works-based. And I would say that I I wouldn't think that this passage is even talking about a salvation issue because notice that Jesus still says that God is still our father. It says, listen, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So God is still our father. We're still his children. That relationship is still there, but it's strained. And intimacy with God can be broken. It can be strained. If we're walking in disobedience, then yes, we're still his children, but but the, there's not that intimacy there. And to strengthen this kind of interpretation, I would flip over to Psalm 66 really quickly. Psalm 66, 18, which says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And so there's this thing where it's like, if, if we're cherishing iniquity in our heart, then this could interfere with our prayers and our intimacy with the Lord. Uh, let me go to Mark real quick. Mark 11. And I'll probably really begin to wrap up with this verse here. Mark 11. This is after Jesus curses the fig tree, which you you may uh, remember. I will. Actually, I'll just. Yeah. He, he cursed the fig tree earlier in this passage. So in the beginning of Mark 11:20, it says, As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus said to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And that's where we want the passage to stop. That was 20 through 24. But it goes on. Listen to this. Verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And so here Jesus is talking about the power of you know prayer. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received and it will be yours. And so he's talking about the power of prayer. And yes, of course, we want to take the entire counsel of God. We understand that we also have to keep in mind the idea of what it means to pray in Jesus's name. Um, we also have to keep in mind where it says in 1 John 5, 14 through 15, um, the importance of praying according to his will. But if you look in the Bible, the expectation is that prayers should be answered. And if prayers aren't answered, then there are you know reasons why that is. Kind of like where James says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. This is in James 4, but that's beside the point right now. But my point is just prayer, like Jesus, the, the posture that we should have is expectation that prayer should be answered. But then it goes on to say, he says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And so we see this connection between prayer and forgiveness here. And guys, that just really hit me because there are certain prayers I've been praying that have yet to be answered recently. And coming back to my situation, I thought, oh man, 
What if part of the reason that these prayers haven't been answered is because of this offense that I've taken up and the unforgiveness I was walking in? Because I can't expect God to answer my prayers if I'm walking in disobedience. And so the whole thing was just very sobering, and the Lord was really teaching me a whole lot about uh, the fear of the Lord and just how awful unforgiveness is and just how detrimental it is. He really, you know, just opened my eyes to this a little bit more, and I'm, I'm excited because I believe that things are going to start happening in response to all this now, and I think the Lord is just really helping me, and I know that he wants to help you with the very same. And so any offense you have, I encourage you, lay it down at the foot of the cross, Give it to Jesus. Let it go. You're hurting yourself more than you are anybody else. It's just not worth it. And it's not worth what it's doing to your intimate uh, relationship with Jesus. Just let it go. And I want to encourage you to do that. Again, speaking in generalities, don't know your specific, but these principles apply across the board. So I hope this has been encouraging. Perhaps it's been challenging. Perhaps it's been motivating. But I I just really um, hope that you guys walk away um, with some of the lightness that I felt. Because uh, once you once you feel that, you just don't want to go back. But like I said, I hope that this was encouraging and motivating and challenging. And I just hope that each and every one of you are just continuing to move in the right direction with your walk with the Lord. Because nothing is more important than that. All right. Until next time, God bless you guys.